And I don't think that, like, if I, like, of course I would love to have a orange juice that was, like, freshly squeezed. Like, if somebody was standing there and they did it for me, I would love that. But if not, the next best option is to have an orange juice, which is probably, like, cold-pressed and then HPP pasteurized. If not, then probably the regular pasteurization. So I think that there's, like, depending on how far food has to go and where food has to go and, like, all the people that it has to reach, it's sometimes not practical. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More, where we strive to accelerate the learning process together through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast was built on the foundation of approachable guests, synthesized experiences, and relatable lessons that will help you grow throughout your journey. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoy and continue to Discover More. Like when Shido is talking about how she is not going to support and stand behind a mission or ingredients or a drink that she wouldn't give it to her loved ones. Mm-hmm. On this podcast, we received numerous like product placement offers Yeah, for the podcast, like for commercials. And then we had numerous conversations about, oh, is it a company that we believe in? Do we want to promote them in the business? And because we do believe that we're not doing this for money, but at the same time, even if opportunities present themselves, we want to make sure that it's everything aligned with what we believe in. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, easy thing is like, yeah, sure. Like, yeah. Like, oh, check out the website, right. commission, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but oftentimes I think easy way is not the, the best way. So it's really easy. I feel like money clouds judgment often. So easy. Yeah. It's so, so easy. easy. Yeah. And like, I guess once a day I asked myself that if I was a multimillionaire today, what would I have done differently? That's like, like my journaling cue for mm. myself. Yeah. And it's like, oh, nothing. And then there's some days like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have like, you know, made this decision to pick the cheaper whatever. And like, mm. and I'm like, okay. Or I would have like made the decision to go sign up for this program that I really want to do to like learn this stuff. And like, if that keeps repeating, then I'm like, okay. I should really sign up for this. this is why I went and signed up mm-hmm. for that program. Oh, uh, because like it just kept coming up that like if I didn't have a restriction of money, what would I do? And like sometimes the answers that you'll see are like really fascinating. I love that journal prompt. Just I love that too. Like it's almost like the feminist entrepreneurship in like a nutshell. It's almost like contrary to the way that other people are. How can I maximize profit margins? Mm-hmm. Like. I work at a biotech company and I'm in like the finance department and all of the conversations are, how can we maximize profit margins <laughs> and like, you know, cut costs as much as possible. It's like, what's the right thing to do? Right, you right. Um, what you just said is exactly what Peter Thiel, do you know who he is? Oh yeah. Peter Thiel, right? The yeah, billionaire yeah. investor, the best at what he does. I haven't actually read anything that he's written. You should read zero to one. Right, I tried to read that and I fake read it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you two are doing. You guys are doing zero to one. Peter Thiel, he uh, says that if you examine all the billionaires nowadays, not that money, but that to become a billionaire, obviously they did something right for a long, long time, right? They're very <laughs> successful, but money aside, but it's an like indication of their success. But if you look at a lot of uh, very successful people, billionaires, like socially, economically, whatever, uh, they're, part of the attribution to their success is because even when they're not successful, even like look at Larry Page, if you look at Jeff Bezos and nobodies at the time, even when they're nobodies, they're operating from a point of somebody. Mm. 
that's what enabled their success. It's like the notion of you're the stories you tell yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a cognitive behavior component to that. Is it's you're literally creating a narrative for your future, and you're for you, you're you're starting your journey as like if I'm a multimillionaire, what I'm gonna do differently. That says a lot. It's like I don't know if you knew that when you were doing. That, I didn't know. <laughs> I was just like. I guess I was trying to get out of the perspective of like making decisions in my now, yeah. um, which I think it's very easy to get stuck into, like hard to get out of what's happening now. And especially when you're a young entrepreneur that you don't have money flowing at you and like yeah. everything is like, you know, very budgeted and like we have to think three times before like we pay ourselves, like we think, mm-hmm. multi- like, should we pay ourselves this month or should we not? Mm-hmm. And sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is yes. But like to get out of that moment and to like make a decision that you are 100% in alignment with as a human, I think that question helps me. Maybe it's not the right question. Maybe it's a great question to ask. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it helps me like get rid of a lot of the stressors that would have been like, okay, what if this goes wrong? What if it doesn't go well? What if, you know, you waste this money and it's going to suck? Or like, what if you don't earn anything? And like a lot of times those what ifs, like the scary what ifs get melted away. If you're a multimillionaire, if you're already successful and you don't have all of these stressors, then you could just be doing it because you believe in it because you believe it's the right thing to do, which is often in my opinion, the right way to make decisions. Mm-hmm. I speak from a very privileged point of view yeah. that I understand that, but I mean, yeah. I'm lucky enough to ask myself that yeah. question. I certainly agree there. And it's actually really reminding me of the book I just finished called The Buddha and the Badass by Vishen Lakhiani. And he's the CEO of a company called Mind Valley that ultimately wants to like change the way that education is being taken place. So mm-hmm. it's all online. And Buddha and the Badass, he basically... It's almost like the combination of the masculine and the feminine in terms of business, but he basically argues that intuition is going to become a fundamental part of how business is conducted, just Mm -hmm. kind of moving with the signs or using your intuition to make the right decision rather than the wrong one or stand by your values. Mm -hmm. So the final chapter in the book, he calls it a identity shift exercise. And his idea is to ask lofty questions similar to the one that you were asking. He gives the example of like affirmations, right? If you say, I am a multimillionaire and I have money flowing to me tremendously. You're subconsciously like, that's bullshit. That keeps, right. <laughs> that's not true. But his idea is to give lofty questions because as humans, we're biologically wired to solve problems. So when you ask a question of why am I a multimillionaire? What would I do differently? He says to like group them into like health and body, uh, abundance, power and relationships and then ask a big question like, Why do I cultivate beautiful relationships? And then your subconscious works backwards and tries Mm. to figure out how to answer those questions. Like that's pretty much what your question that you ask is doing. You know, you're kind of figuring out how to operate from that place of already being there and then reverse engineering that, which ultimately comes out in the quality of decisions being made. Yeah. And then like to echo that, if you look at the mega successful companies we just alluded to, Obviously, there's growing pains, and I hope you to experience growing pains because oh, that means <laughs> that means your company is growing, right? But there is a obviously from scaling point of view, there is a fundamental difference between growing pains for one to ten employee company versus ten thousand to fifteen thousand, right? The increment is exaggerated, and but the reason why Amazon, Apple, Tesla, whatever companies are doing really well because. The CEOs and the founders, even before they experience the growing pains and the scaling, they're they're already operating from the hindsight view. 
And that's like the idea we talked about off the conversation about deploying hindsight as foresight. It's extremely hard to do, but at least if we have the awareness, that's a starting point because most people don't even have the awareness. Mm -hmm. Can you explain how to do that? How do you deploy what was it? Hindsight as foresight? Yeah. How do you do that? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I wish I knew. Uh, no, so, yeah, so that's the idea that I, I guess, came up with about three years ago. So just to disclose a little bit, I uh, was deployed. I'm in the Army Reserve myself. And initially, six years ago, when I signed up to be an Army Reservist, I did it for my immigration, like my citizenship reasons. And I was able to get accepted this linguistic program called Mavini through the Army. It's a very selective program, and I'm quilingual. So I tested in mm. different languages, and I was accepted to the program. And I was able to get my citizenship in six months. But I was lucky. Anyhow, uh, so when I signed up for the program and the, when I joined the Army, the possibility of deployment was very, very rare. I know Afghanistan and Iraq were still going on, but I knew for the next foreseeable future, we're not going to be starting a new warfare. And now, I don't know if you recall, three years ago, uh, Mr. Trump and Kim Jong-un, they were having more of a dick measuring contest mm -hmm. about, oh, I got a bigger button. No, I got a bigger button. I could just push. So my unit, we are one of the 13 force readiness units in the United States. We're a very special unit. There's only 13 of us across the entire U.S., and we're basically the ones who will be the first in line to get deployed and set up the uh, perimeter securities, the logistics, like the bathrooms. So we were called to be deployed to North Korea. So it was extremely potentially hostile and dangerous situations. And that's the first time I experienced severe depression ever in my life, right? Because it was very life and death. I was able to go through that afterwards. And when I came back and I started reflecting on all that, like what we talked about during our discovery call, a lot of hardships tend to present a lot of insights. If you have the humility to seek those insights, I was into self-help books for the longest time of my life, so I knew the importance of working on myself. So I realized, oh, because every time, if you look back on your life, every time you look back into 27, 30, 35, whatever years of your life, you realize, oh shit, all the things that I thought was so unfathomably difficult at the time, when you reflect on it, they have the greatest values and growth opportunities. So I realized, what is that? Oh, that's hindsight, because hindsight's always 2020. So I was like, what if at the moment of distress, I can deploy that hindsight before it happens as foresight? So A, that could effectively minimize my stress in the moment, and that could maybe even help optimize my next decision making. Mm -hmm. And obviously, the difficult part, as we talked about many times, is the gap between knowing and doing is very large. Um, so to answer your question, how do you do that? I think it's about repetitions and awareness. And you're already doing that with journaling. Uh, Aiden's very big into journaling. I tried it out. It wasn't for me, but I'm very big into meditations and reflections. And I think to myself a lot. Uh, I think it's, it's about like asking the right questions, right? Like if I were a multimillionaire, what would I have done differently, which is what you're doing. And I think journaling is a good start, but I think it's about having that repetitive thought process and creating a pattern recognition in yourself so that you're prematurely saturating yourself to a situations before it happens. Mm. So that when it does happen, you have more toolkits or preparations. And like in terms of military speaking, like we do a lot of battle drills and trainings and whatever, right? And like if you look at active shooter, which was a huge thing about two years ago. And if you look at a lot of schools, a lot of places, they started doing active shooting drills mm -hmm. before they didn't. But if you talk to any veterans who've been deployed, who've seen death, who've seen PTSD, whatever, you ask them, do those drills work? Or would someone who going through a rigorous amount of preparations 
be able to perfectly execute that during the warfare time? The answer is no. However, so the question is, why do people do it then? Like, why do people do active shooting drill if it's not going to be, if it doesn't work? Uh, one of the veteran uh, commanding sergeant I spoke to, he said this very elaborately. He said, the point of rigorous preparation isn't so that you can execute it perfectly when it happens, is that you are at least more prepared and be more mindful that it, it might happen. And you still might panic because it doesn't matter how much training the SEALs, Navy SEALs, whatever. When shit goes wrong, shit goes wrong. And you're going to panic regardless. Um, but people often think there's only fight or flight, mm -hmm. but there's a third option, freeze. Most people freeze. Mm -hmm. If you look at the active shooting in the Maryland Mall that happened three years ago, I think like 14 people were shot. If they fled, they would have been fine because the ammo's are always accurate. They got injured and many times in active shootings and whatever, people get injured because they freeze. If it's truly fight or flight, it would be fine. But most people freeze because they're not used to that acute of stress. So to deploy hindsight as foresight, I think simply to uh, pre-saturate yourself with enough thought exercises or scenarios and circumstances so that when it does happen, it's still going to really suck. But at least it might suck less. Um, but it's, it's easier said than done. But it's something that I've always tried to work on and ever since the deployment. That's smart. I have never heard of this theory um, apart from you. So I'm going to try and figure out a way to include this. I think it's going to be really helpful because there's so much stuff on a day-to-day -day basis that we're stressed about, which yeah. could very well happen, which we've had happen to us before. Yeah. There's a quote. I definitely want to hear about how you guys are like currently navigating the challenges, but I'm going to use this as kind of like a bridge or a setup for that question. There's a quote that we read in a meditation book that we actually did on our Discover More Books platform, and her idea is that all stress is self-created, so it's like kind of a choice to be stressed. And similarly, I'm reading... Uh, a Man's Search for Meeting, Vic, the Victor Frankl book, who's mm -hmm. a Holocaust survivor. And he says that in between the stress and the response, there's a gap. And that gap represents a choice to make. So my like little trigger is whenever I feel myself getting stressed out, say it's 4.30 on a Friday and I want to go home and relax and I get a deliverable that's due by the end of the day, I feel myself going into that like stress response. But I kind of have like a mental cue whenever I feel that moving forward. I remind myself this is where the growth is. You could say I became like a growth junkie, but like you kind of lean into that because that's where the real change actually happens. You know, so that's kind of like my mental cue that's maybe like kind of straightforward, like an in the moment kind of thing. It's just like a mental reframe. I mean, I definitely go down thought tunnels of a half hour of like, you know, worst case scenarios, but kind of try and bring myself out with that growth kind of look so what have you guys experienced like you know you mentioned the sourcing kind of things what are some of the challenges and then what's kind of like the mindset around how you deal with them is it like a day-by-day -day approach of forward thinking having attachment to that overall vision definitely curious around the mindsets behind navigating entrepreneurship well, first of all, you guys read so many books. <laughs> every time you, every time you like start talking, like, damn, I should read more books. <laughs> um, man, there is a lot of stuff that stresses us out on a daily basis, just because, again, we're like we're doing something that hasn't really been done before, so we have so many questions. But also just because we're entrepreneurs in a space that we really haven't been in, I think we try to be as prepared as we possibly can. I get very stressed very easily. Like, I don't present stressed, but, like, internally I'm just, like, imploding. <laughs> and I think what stresses me out is, like, last-minute changes. That is just, like, riddled in entrepreneurship. 
And also, she told just she when she gets an idea, it's just like go 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 go. And a lot of times she'll just like they're like we should do this, we should do that, we should do that. And I'm just like, oh my god. <laughs> but like I so I like anytime I feel myself getting stressed, like I try to um, just kind of like take a step back and like like pick apart as much as I possibly can. But I would say like the main the main stresses for me in our work are um, like right now we're trying to get enough avocado seeds before our next manufacturing run. We've got a... Well, our manufacturing facilities moving dates on us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> so we were supposed to have um, a manufacturing production run in October. There was some sort of miscommunication. And the next dates that we were available to get were in November. So there was a whole month. This is in September that we're talking. Right. So there was a whole month where we didn't know how we were going to make product. So then we just, like, just went into... Mode. Yeah, exactly. So we started like scrambling and trying to figure out, like trying to set things up. So we started contacting breweries to see if we could um, kind of slip in there while they had downtime to make some product because the other option was trying to figure out a way that we could do it ourselves in a very small scale, either like in a commercial kitchen or something. The facility that we work at has 200 gallon kettle. There's no way I can't fit a 200 gallon kettle in my house or like, <laughs> like in a kitchen. I don't know anyone who has something like that. So trying to figure that out to, to fill in the gap because we had orders to fill with GoPuff and we don't want to be in a situation where they're asking for, for product and we can't give it to them. It's just bad business. So we just recently got in contact with someone to uh, who has a brewery that we think that we're going to be able to use. It's probably not going to benefit us like right now because I mean November's not that far away so I think we're okay. But we have situations that come up like that like all the time like probably every, probably like every week. Yeah, she called me from the facility. She went to the production facility and she calls me and she's like, we're we're only having production dates in November. And like, she said it very calmly. I could feel the stress. I was done. I was was done. She was done. I I, I go up there in the morning. I go up there like 8 and 9 a.m. Every time I have to go there. And I was like, I'm done with the day. (laughs) Like, this is is the rest of my day. Yeah. And then it was just like, okay. And for me, I was like, and I think this is how we really compliment each other is that when I'm stressing out, she's like the one that's like, okay, listen, like it's going to be fine. Like this is what we can do. Like these are our options. Like she'll, she'll talk me through that. And I feel like I do the same. So when she called me and she was just like, Oh, like we don't have dates. And it was like the first thing in my head was like, it's okay. It's okay. We're going to be fine. We're going to get through this. Like we have, we have plans. Like we could talk to microbreweries. We've already been talking to them. We can settle on one of those. We have commercial kitchens. We have that person that we know that we could go to their kitchen. Like worst comes to worst, we can hand fill. And it was just like plan A, plan B, plan C, mm-hmm. plan D, plan F. <laughs> this is what we can do. So we're going to be fine. We're going to survive. It's just now we have to see how far up this scale we can go. And we remained on plan F, yeah. uh, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah. Which is just like the most basic, like literally hand filling product out of like every single bottle on our own. But I mean, we did it. Yeah. We're still here. There's still product on the shelf. So, and it's been made safely. Mm-hmm. So we're happy with that. From what I hear, you guys are talking about your effective way of navigation comes on to your feminine leaderships and your feminine partnerships, right? And I know to go to full circle into our previous conversations that we were talking about how your identity as a female entrepreneur and your hidden gem beverage company and drink reveal is a product of 
uh, woman-owned business, mm -hmm. right? And I personally don't know too much about that space because I don't have that many female entrepreneur friends in my circles. Like I work in the policy realm, so it's a little bit different. If you examine the Fortune 50, Fortune 500, if you look at the corporate America structures, obviously it's a very men-dominated space. And if you examine masculine energy and feminine energy and masculine style and feminine style, I am generalizing here, but generally speaking, I think masculine energy tends to be more rational. It's more about black and white. And I think feminine energy is better at navigating the nuances and the gray area in between. And oftentimes we think the truth is often in between. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you were talking about how when you're in panicking survivor mode, Zuri is your anchor. And vice versa, when Zuri is panicking, pressing that survival mode <laughs> yeah. internally, I'm sure, Shida, you act as the anchor and the harbor for her to stay calm. And that's something that like Aiden and I, we work pretty because we both are we believe in contrast to most like men we are very into the self-development area so we, we are comfortable being vulnerable with each other we're mm -hmm. comfortable providing emotional support on top of that we tend to be men so we also have the rational aspect so we do have a pretty good relationship and partnerships but most often men leadership they're very hyper rational and they're good at what they do they're good at quantifying they're good at picking or dissecting different issues in a very rational constructive manner but oftentimes they lack the emotional support for each other because it's still stigmatized and men are still not taught and trained and nurtured in a way that we're okay to be vulnerable with each other. And it's okay to be emotional with each other because I think with men's ego-driven society, we like to look at that as like a bad thing, right? But with your partnerships and what you're telling us, I could see that, that you guys have a very effective way to cultivate a way to support each other during the time of distress. Yeah, I think if we had the type of relationship where, or if it was a work environment where if I was like freaking out and getting really stressed out and I looked to she told to for support and she was just like, figure it out yourself, it wouldn't, we, it wouldn't work. It just wouldn't work. <laughs> and I think also just to comment on what you said, I kind of, I was just thinking um, the way that we like separate emotional just emotion from rationality is kind of I don't really know why they're in separate spaces because let's just say you're in a situation you're dealing with someone who's very emotional you want them to act more rationally but then you're approaching them in a very rational way it's to me the the rational thing would to be if you understand that you're working with an emotional person then you would understand that you probably need to approach them in an emotional way like that is the most rational thing so I don't really know why we've separated these things like they're not connected yeah they're super connected yeah yeah um and sometimes like no matter how rational you are the reason why you want things the reason why you do things the reason why you're stressed all of that is emotional and if you don't deal with it on that level like you're not going to get the outcomes that you want so i mean i'm a big believer that you like find the root cause of a problem and then like fix it there and then all the good things are gonna happen um, from there and I think like emotionally connecting with somebody emotionally being able to understand like what they want out of their careers and where they fit in and like when we started working together originally we actually had opposite roles where right. she was doing the marketing I was doing the ops and um, we tried that for a while, and for some reason, it just like, was wasn't I was working. Bad. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I was not very good with ops. Okay, um, I just I can do it, but I just hate it. Like it just 
sucks out all of my energy and like leaves me like a dead person at the end of the day where I just don't want to wake up the next day and I don't want to do this. So like the minute when we switched, like things just got so much better. And I was getting a lot of like advice from people. I was like, okay, like, how do we do this? Like, how do we navigate this conversation? Like, you know, what do I do? And like, there were people just like, oh, you know, just like, maybe just end it. Like, it's not going to work. Like, if you guys don't work together now, you're never going to be able to work together. I was like, no, like, we have a very solid belief in what we're building and like that is the first most important thing that somebody that you're working with like a hundred percent believes and commits and i was like we already have that and i don't have any doubt that we're not both a hundred percent committed to it so there's no way there's absolutely no way that we're gonna say like oh we're not gonna work together and the next thing to do and the only thing to do was to just to talk so we called and it was like not a like i was really nervous to bring it up but that conversation was so well. It went yeah, so well. Yeah, it was super important. I wasn't, I also was not, <laughs> it was not the best conversation to have. Like, it was, there, like, was clearly, like, tension. But it was, it was a super important conversation because it made me, personally, it made me, like, just do some, like, personal reflection of, of like, okay, like, why is this not working out the way that I want it to? What am I not doing? The role that I was playing in the company was not fulfilling to me. And because it wasn't fulfilling to me, it made it really hard for me to, to want to work and to to do it effectively. And we probably should have had a conversation a lot sooner. Yeah. <laughs> but we didn't. But once we did, it kind of... It was like um, magic. Yeah, it, it was. And I, like, we I like did this whole, like, side thing where I was like, all right, let me just, like, sit down and evaluate, like, what I want, not just for work, but, like, personally. Like, how can I make sure that I'm improving on a personal level? Because that's going to be reflected in my work also. And then let me go back and see, like, what about, what about this role is not clicking with me and, like, what's something else that I could probably prosper in a little bit better? And uh, it was really helpful. But I think if you would have came to me like, hey, listen, like, we're not going to work together anymore, that would have not been, like, that would have been an option. It probably would have not been the best option. No, it would have been the worst yeah, option. Yeah, and I would have hated things in just a really bad way and, Yeah. Again, what I'm hearing is better questions, better answers, right? By having those questions with each other. I mean, both Ben and I are huge proponents of just open conversation, kind Mm -hmm. of like a no-holds-barred kind of sense. Um, I recently heard this idea of anytime, like, those difficult conversations come up, you can, like, intro it with, for the sake of transparency, I'm going to tell you this thing. So, like, it's not, sometimes it comes off as, like, not necessarily self-serving, but, like, why would you be bringing this up? Why would you be telling me this thing? But it's really important both for your internal dialogue as well as the relationship in general. Even though there's no reason to like bring the mud out of the water. Like yeah. people say you just sweep things under the rug. But like in the sense of transparency, it's better for like everyone involved. So, you know, it's really an incredible perspective to have that important conversations. And you guys knew that you had alignment of belief, which similar to why... That's like the foundation, right? You have to have that solidified belief, that solidified why, and then you can figure out the X's and woes, the X's and O's, the <laughs> bad woes, um, <laughs> you know, kind of the nitty gritty of stuff beyond that, you know? So I think that's super valuable. To, I guess, echo what we were talking about, obviously you two's on a, like a smaller scale versus all of the corporate 500 level, and you two are in a way a micro representation of woman entrepreneurships and woman owned business. But as we talked about offline, I've read this uh, numerous surveys, even years ago, I think it was three, four years ago, and I, I believe you read one recently, 
about the efficacy of women CEOs. If you examine just from a data point of view, obviously I think 95% of Fortune 50 companies are led by men, right? Because it is a patriarchy, it is a paternal quote unquote society. But if you were to examine the efficacy, the data, the surveys, the employment, happiness, the satisfaction, the turnover rate, all those things grouping together, women CEO tend to be a more effective leader, period. And obviously it's a such a systematic level that we're not gonna be able to solve mm-hmm. or even to address uh, properly on this channel, on this platform. But I think the whole premise and the intention behind Discover More podcast is to discover more. The causes, the questions, the issues, because like we talked about, better questions lead to better answers. And we need to start asking these questions. We need to start having these conversations with one another because otherwise it's going to be another thing that that's swept under the rug that Hayden talked about. So I think it's, it's very important that you two are bringing this up and I appreciate that. Yeah. I wanted to just uh, talk about one thing, which we... I wanted to talk about the difference between like compete versus collaborate. Um, I feel like there's something, I don't know why, I don't feel like I'm the person or like as a company, like I don't want somebody else to go out of business for me to succeed. I don't want that. If that's what's going to happen and if that's what I do to you, then like that's not right and we should like find a different way of doing things and it's more about collaborating and I think that is something which is super important to me and even in terms of like working together, I'm not competing with Zuri uh, to be the best, you know, the best employee at this company or whatever. What we want to do is to create a space where both of us can grow into the people that we want to be. And like anybody else that we get onto the team for that human, that person to be treated like a person, to be respected like a person and to see what are their dreams and to collaborate with that and to like, layer genius on top of genius like you're great at this i'm great at this you're great at that and you're great at something else and we put all of that together and then we create something that is so astonishingly beautiful because there's just so much like there's like a whole life a whole journey that has come into this creating something and i'm excited about being able to build a company that lets everyone in the company to collaborate and i know it might be like a very romantic vision but that's the dream. So when you mentioned that, I kind of got chills because that's clearly the way that business is going. Uh, we keep alluding to books. I know we read a lot, <laughs> but that author Simon Sinek, who actually wrote the Start With Why, his third book is called The Infinite Game. And are you guys familiar with game theory? Oh yeah, it's like a uh, no end game. Yeah, so finite players have like two different sides, a clear timeline and clearly like a winner and loser, whereas infinite game goes on forever and there's no actual like specific teams or a winner or loser. And in his book, he argues that most times business right now is operating from a finite game mindset of we need to beat the competition. We need to like do everything in our power to win at the end of the day. But in actuality, business is an infinite game that can exist with as many players as there are. You guys aren't trying to overthrow Coke and Pepsi. You're just trying to like (laughs) exist side by side. There's not going to be like winners and losers. It's just all players kind of working together in that. So I really think that it's like a large scale vision right now, but kind of the way that business is shifting, it's certainly becoming a reality more and more. So I'd like to kind of just inquire with you guys a little bit more of like, how do you guys see yourself fitting into the drink market, right? We kind of alluded to a little bit, there's the whole like alcohol scene, obviously soda is a problem that's driving so much disease in this country right now. 
this stuff tastes incredible. I'd much rather have it than juice. Like, where do you guys kind of see your product fitting in with everything? So right now we're kind of positioning, like if you were to go into a store mm-hmm. and look at it, at a shelf, you would probably see us somewhere like close to kombucha because we're not exactly a tea. We're not exactly, we're honestly like we're a product within itself. We're our own, kind of our own category. So that was actually a question that we thought about a lot trying to figure out like, okay, where are we going to be on the shelves? How does someone even know to look for us on Google? Because there is nothing like that. So so we have to work off of association. So what we've been doing is kind of relating ourselves to a non-carbonated kombucha-esque. The way that when we were formulating this, we found something very interesting. We found that there were lots of people that wanted to drink kombucha, but couldn't handle the flavor profile of it. It was just too much. They wanted to drink it for all the health benefits and to be like cool and like fit in with all the cool kids that are drinking uh, kombucha. And then there was another section of people that really liked kombucha, but don't drink as much as they would like to because of the amount of sugar in it. And this would be the perfect alternative. Like if you're not a great kombucha fan because you can't handle the flavor of it or if you think it has too much sugar, like this has got apple cider vinegar, it's got a little bit of tartness, it's not as much as you would get in a kombucha. It's super light, it's very similar. Like it's like a, it's like the stepping stone, like in between a tea and a kombucha, that's where we lie. We're like that bridge. Like if you wanted to make your way, like this would be the next natural progression. Definitely. And I think applies to almost completely different demographic because kombucha has like a ton of sugars and carbohydrates. They're all are natural and healthy and things. Mm-hmm. But I personally really love like low carbohydrates, sometimes even like keto approaches. And I just can't drink kombucha when I'm operating like that. Like yeah. this is 10 calories with two carbohydrates Like is incredible for anyone that's like living an active and like low carbohydrate lifestyle. It's almost a demographic that they can get those antioxidants without conflicting with any of their calorie goals or anything like that so it's definitely makes sense yeah just to echo on all you three but to begin with what you talked about i think you guys should overthrow pepsi and coke because they're horrible (laughs) companies horrible (laughs) products horrible ethics so you should you should definitely tear them down i heard this saying that there's two ways to build the tallest sandcastle in the playground one is to simply be the best and simply build the tallest building the second one is by tearing down everything around you. Mm-hmm. And I think you guys are definitely approaching from the ethical and the correct approach. So I definitely want to highlight that for the listeners. And I have the product in front of me. And as we were sipping this throughout our conversations, when you two talked about early in the conversation that there's no sugar, I was shooketh because it's wait, <laughs> this tastes this tastes really good. And for the listeners uh, who we encourage to check out the product afterwards. I just want to read, there's only five simple ingredients in each bottle and it's avocado seed extract, organic apple cider vinegar, monk fruit juice concentrate, natural flavor, malic acid. That's it. There is no corn syrup. There is no sugar because a lot of these seemingly healthy drinks, they say oh, it's sugar free, but they put shit ton of other things. It's probably way worse than sugar. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's a whole conversation about corn syrup the syrup industries and how unsustainably it is in every aspect. So I just feel like you guys are not just as a brand, but as a company, you're doing everything in like a very human aspect, mm-hmm. which you like really love. And that's like the whole premise of our show as well, right? To discover things are truly beneficial on a collective level. U.S. is definitely a, a individualistic society because of capitalism. And obviously we're not just talking about capitalism, but 
like everything has to be nuanced, right? It can't be just all collective or it can't be just individualistic. It has to be somewhere in between. And it sounds like you two are doing that or at least trying to do that on a daily basis. Yeah. And I think um, what you guys were saying earlier is, I mean, like the problem with capitalism is that kind of like in a capitalistic society, especially with, with business, you are, there is this mindset that you have to take out your competitor to be successful, which is not true. If you if we kind of worked on a more collaborative uh, business structure, then there's space for everyone. And also, I feel like when you're working with multiple people, it just kind of like you have to have a broader mindset. It allows you to just be more mindful of the people that you're selling things to because you want things to be beneficial for them. If you drink, uh, I drink alcohol. I love beer. If you look at the beer market, I don't just buy one beer because I love it. I buy multiple beers. You know, so many beer companies. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, love, I, I love them all. I yeah. love all of them. And I don't just drink one beer for the whole month. I usually buy different beers at the same time. So I think it's like what Aiden talked about with the Infinite Games. Like people tend to, whether it's business or not, people tend to operate on a finite mindset. Yeah. I think that's like what holding us back as a society and as us to like not optimizing our potential growth. I would like to pose a question to you guys just more around like food holistically because like Ben alluded to with like extra ingredients in foods that's like one of my biggest pet peeves uh, when I was back in college I thought I was being like super fit and healthy and just eating like a lot of bars and shape it's conveyed that that's the healthy thing to do but in reality there's tons of like cheap ingredients that they're just doing to maximize the profit margins and make things taste really good only until I graduated I realized like sucralose and aspartame and all those things were like doing terrible things for me. So obviously it's clear that you guys are focused on whole foods, like natural ingredients, but just kind of your overall thoughts around food, healthy living, are you guys like eating a specific way to gravitate towards certain foods? Just as two food scientists, what's your guys' approach around all of that? I have a controversial point of view. We like those. I'm a vegetarian. I've been a vegetarian my whole life. And it's just like my family. It's like a religious thing from my family side. So I never was introduced to meat. And I am perfectly fine in my life without it. So continue to remain vegetarian. A lot of times people will ask me what I feel about like organic food or GMO food. Or um, even like preservatives in food. And like I know there's this whole movement to go towards like absolutely no like preservatives and like raw milk unpasteurized water and stuff like that and i just want to say that like while these things feel and they sound very good there is a very serious health aspect that if you're drinking raw milk you could get really really sick if you want food that doesn't have any type of preservation or any kind of preservation technique you probably need to eat that food in like a day and a half. Yeah, you have to change your lifestyle. You have to change your lifestyle. And rather than expecting that from like, if you don't want to eat any preservatives, then cook your own food. Start with raw ingredients, make your own food. That is where you should be doing that. Expecting that from a company in a packaged food, it's really hard on the companies. It's really hard to see the food safety through and it just makes it uneconomical, which is why a lot of the companies that attempt to do that end up going out of business because like, and you'll see this, like you'll see uh, 
like a juice at Whole Foods that's like $9 for a tiny little bottle. And it has to be $9 because they have to promise Whole Foods when they go in that they're gonna buy back anything that doesn't get sold. So if they send 10 products or like, you know, 10 bottles of their juice to Whole Foods and only three people buy the product, the rest of that is, it goes back to the company and the company can't do anything with it because the sell-by date is over. So all of these things make it impractical and make it really, really expensive. So if that's the mindset, like if that's what you want, then do it yourself. That's my opinion, which is probably not like what people want to hear, but that's what I feel. And I also feel that like with organic food and like non-GMO, I feel like GMO has given a lot to, I'm not pro Monsanto or anything, but GMO foods have done a lot. Uh, they've increased production. They've made crops more resistant to pesticides. So you don't have to add as many pesticides. And when you say like organic foods don't, like it's not that they don't use any pesticides. There's certain pesticides that they can use. So like, I think that there's a lot of education that needs to go on because when somebody says organic food, like in my boyfriend's mind, like he thinks that there's absolutely no preservatives on it. And I'm like, that's where you're wrong. Like that's what you've been led to believe because of non-clear messaging that lets you believe whatever you want. But there's like a whole story behind it. I guess like food scientists would know. And I'm not that worried about organic food or non-organic. Like I, it doesn't matter to me because I know that like it's most probably gonna be safe. Like it's not gonna be anything that's gonna like go crazy. It's not gonna do anything to me. So I think there's a lot of like things out there that are just like scary but not really because you don't know all the facts. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's just a lot of education that needs to happen like in general, but um, but around food as well. I, I should have a better diet. I'm definitely someone who eats based off taste uh, first, um, but I've been growing some of my own food and like I would say that if you're a person who wants to have more control over the things that you're consuming, like growing your own food is definitely an option, but again, like cooking from scratch is probably the only way that you're gonna get that done because I do think that, that food companies do have a responsibility to be more aware and ethical of the things that, the ingredients that they're putting in their food. Because again, it's like, if you wouldn't give it to your own family member, why are you trying to feed it to someone else? But there are a lot of things that you might see on labels that like look kind of funny, like for instance, malic acid, that might not be something that the common consumer knows anything about. And like the word malic and the word acid, like those don't sound like natural words, but like that's uh, something that's found naturally in apples. Mm -hmm. So, and a lot of these ingredients that are put into food are there to help preserve them so they can make it from the farm all the way to you by the time they're, you know, they're not spoiled. So I agree, there's definitely things that are in food specifically for a reason. There's also a lot of things in food that don't have any business being there or are just there to cut costs. And it's really hard as a consumer to like know the difference between those things. So, I don't know, I feel like it's a combination of, you know, taking more control over your own life, growing as much food as you can, making sure that you are cooking from scratch as much as you can, but like also understanding that the food industry is here for a reason. And a lot of that is to provide convenience for people who just like don't have like, if I had to cook from scratch all the time, like I wouldn't have time to get anything done. So it just kind of feels like a, an effort from both sides, the consumer and from the industry to yeah. just... And like, despite the fact that we use all these preservatives and preservation techniques, there's still so much food that gets wasted. Yeah. And like, 
there's so much hunger in the world. And if we didn't use that, can you imagine? Like, none of us would have any food to eat. No one. They get a bad rap, but they're very important pieces of the system. And to make sure that the food that we have actually gets to be experienced by somebody, that gets to actually contribute to our bodies and to our, like, nutrition. And I think that food preservation is super important. And I don't think that, like, if I, like, of course I would love to have a orange juice that was, like, freshly squeezed. Like, if somebody was standing there and they did it for me, I would love that. But if not, the next best option is to have an orange juice, which is probably, like, cold-pressed and then HPP pasteurized. If not, then probably the regular pasteurization. So I think that there's, like, depending on how far food has to go and where food has to go and, like, all the people that it has to reach, it's sometimes not practical. And just just to add one more thing, I think that if the entire industry was to move more towards like natural ingredients, no preservation, it would just have to be a complete change in society. We would have to kind of migrate back to like going to the grocery store multiple times a week. Because, and we would have to mm-hmm. eat local. We would have right. to eat only yeah. the foods that were grown locally, which is fine. I mean, it's great right. if that's what you want to do. But if you can't afford to do that or you don't want to do that or you don't have time to cook or like whatever other reasons that you may have for not wanting to do it, then, I mean, they're not going to hurt you. The preservatives that are in the food, they're not going to hurt you. Yeah, I really appreciate this like perspective because, again, it's kind of speaking to the need for nuance. Right. Mm -hmm. I think right now, especially the like organic or non-GMO whole thing is just like almost like a villainized kind of thing. Like it becomes like tribal in a lot of ways. It's like I only eat the organic bananas and not the normal bananas. I mean, if you want to like vote that way with your dollar, sure, there's like a choice to be doing that. But again, there's like that pragmatism aspect of Mm -hmm. it. It's like if everyone in the world was trying to eat organic, it's almost not feasible or not possible. The food scarcity thing, like preservatives are making our current food system work and possible and to completely overthrow that just isn't realistic it's like meeting people where they are meeting this country where they are as much as it looks good on paper there's like the practical elements to it or like the attack on gluten if you don't have celiac disease you're fine you can eat gluten it's great it holds pasta together (laughs) And bread. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's like gluten is just literally a protein. That's right. So it's, right. Uh, I think to even go deeper than what we're talking about, and I think I could, it resonates with me on a deeper level because I do work on a policy, on the hinges of policy. It's that if you examine all these big corporations and like what we're talking about is marketing, right? Right. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's not about, yes, it is education. It's needed. Uh, like the, with GMO, with organic, it's all marketing. And what disheartens me and the reason I'm so cynical in my realm is that all these large corporations, they have plenty of food scientists, doctors who have the proper knowledge on their teams, yet they're still intentionally doing what benefits them versus trying to do what's for the collectives. Mm -hmm. Like what you two are alluding to, I'm sure these corporations have people as competent as you are on their teams and they're telling them, hey, GMO is not that bad, right? Or whatever, and they're aware of that, but they're still opting to choose to marketing for the sake of profitization, mm-hmm. for the sake of profit, which affects the consumers because most consumers don't have that knowledge. Um, so I knew about the GMO piece. I knew it wasn't that bad. 
uh, what comes to my mind is MSGs, right? Oh. If you look at MSGs, people, especially like like a lot of white people, they're like, MSG is the most evil, horrible oh, so ingredient. <laughs> it is horrible for you. But it's scary, and this is the reason why I'm so cynical, is because if you examine the history of MSGs, it's actually coming from racism against Chinese immigrants mm-hmm. in, in New York City to be specific. Anti-MSG campaign started back in New York City, I think in the 1940s, 1950s. Uh, the years could be wrong, uh, but it's it origin from New York City. And if you look at a lot of Chinese restaurants, when the huge influx of Chinese immigrants came from China to the U.S., and a lot they congregated in New York cities, and a lot of white consumers back then, obviously there are like a lot of racist tendencies, and they're like, wait a minute, we're losing our business, we're losing our Italian food market business, we're we're losing our American food business to Chinese workers or Chinese chefs or business owners. What can we do about it? And they created this MSG notion fallacy that. MSG is horrible for you. It's but MSG is literally an extract to improve the flavor. That's it. Yeah. As simple as that. That's a fact. It's not an opinion. It's a fact. It's and salt. Yeah. Right. It's it's so simple. And people are so brainwashed because of the market. It's not people's fault, right? It's the institution that is implementing these policies or giving the people the false idea and information. That now even a lot of my Asian friends, a lot of my friends or whatever friends and family members still think, oh, MSG is bad. Like make sure you don't have MSGs. I was like. Listen, MSG is not bad. It's just a flavor profile. That's it. It's the marketing. And everything we're talking about talks about the lack of nuances mm-hmm. and the important to adjust our attitude. And the reason why like profit at the end of the day is not the most important thing in life. Like, right. like But unfortunately, that's not how corporate America operates. Yeah. And I think there's that whole section of like, just because something is labeled as organic or non-GMO or whatever, they could be having really unsustainable practices at their farm. And it's like looking beyond that one stamp or that one seal, like thinking about like this company, what do they do? How do they handle water? Do they waste a lot of water? What practices do they have? Like even some organic farms will use like a lot of pesticides. There's other organic farms which will plant two plants together or three plants together at the same time to help enrich, like one of the plants will enrich the soil and help these plants go better. And another one will be like a natural insect repellent or whatever. So like there are organic farms that'll do uh, things in a way that have great environmental impact and like preserve the soil and all of that. So I think it's about looking at like what is actually happening rather than a little sticker or a stamp on a packaging, which I don't think can really represent what a company does, but it's just a lot more work. It's easier to say like, oh, that has a label on it. I'm gonna buy this instead of that. Yeah, definitely. And that comes back to what you mentioned at the very beginning, talking about like where the strawberry comes from. When you're really looking at like the whole journey of whether it's produce or a specific ingredient, you can like appreciate where it comes from. And I think that gives a perspective around like the journey that that thing is and it almost like makes you appreciate the food a lot more you know it tastes better you like recognize where it came from everything that went into it i think appreciating food is just like a huge thing of not just using it for fuel or not just using it for taste but really like appreciating it i don't know is art the right word i mean you guys are the food scientists it's like the art of it like everything coming together from like different farms different chefs It's really like logistical masterpiece in a lot of ways. And the creativity of it, I'm sure there's a lot. Yeah, so much. I mean, I'm fascinated by that whole... Like, I would have loved when I was a kid to go on a field trip and say like, okay, you see this strawberry that's in front of you? We're going to go follow it and go all the way back to wherever it came from. I would love to see where that would be. And potentially you're going to end up with like having to go on like 
a week-long vacation to go find out where the strawberry came from. Mm-hmm. So where would you guys recommend, like, from a lot of this conversation, it's pretty apparent that, like, food education, and that's something I feel deeply passionate about, is just educating around food is, like, a very important thing. Before you guys got into school for food, I mean, even if resources that you discovered while you were there, but how would you recommend people, like, figuring out more about food? Uh, Is that, like, a self-experimentation, see what works for the specific person, maybe, like, food advocates you guys really like resonate with or see doing great things out there just could you point our listeners in the place of besides reveal at least but like food resources that you think are valuable perspectives for people to have i follow this woman on instagram called sophia Rowe. i love her i think she's she's great she talks about i believe she's a vegan chef she talks about food um but she also just talks about Food, I feel like, from a perspective that I just really resonate with, with which is just the practicality of it. So she um, kind of goes into, like, her unpopular opinions about, like, organic food or, you know, like, just what things that are, are realistic. So, like, maybe you don't have the same access to food that someone else does. So, like, what are your options if you don't have the same access? So I feel like she's a, a great person to, to follow on Instagram. I would also recommend looking up nrdc.com. They have a, a lot of resources for the environment and sustainability, but also uh, food as well. Uh, my suggestion would be to read research papers. Um, I know it's not like the most fun thing to do and it doesn't feel great, but that's one place where you can actually get to see the the real data. So if you see an article online about something and they say like, oh, like we got it from this research paper, I would really recommend if you're very interested to find out more to like go read even the abstract and the summary because that'll give you a lot of information about like how this information was collected. And I think like going to the source and the person who like made this discovery or like put this study together. Um, And they will also tell you over there if the study has been sponsored by anyone in particular. And then you can like start to see whether that's like a study that you believe in, because I think there's so much information out there right Mm -hmm. now that's like, fats are good, fats are bad. You know, no, actually this type of fats are good. Actually that type of fats uh, cause cancer. And there's just like 500 different opposing points of view. So I would really recommend just like, even if you want to take a little class on how to read a research paper and what that means, I think that would be like really valuable. Um, And that was like the best thing that I learned when I went to do my master's. Yeah. And like what comes to mind throughout our entire uh, interviews and the conversation is the idea of privilege. Mm-hmm. is that a lot of the GMO, a lot of the organic, a lot of these food discussions we're having is the fact that we are privileged. We live in a privileged society. We are privileged enough that we can have the option to opt into a certain preference of diet. And what you're talking about, Shira, is that we have the privilege to access internet, Google, research paper, and that itself is a privilege. And having a privilege isn't a bad thing, but you have to be mindful and aware that you're privileged enough and we would like to challenge everyone to utilize that privilege and do something that's going to be better yourself and for everyone else. Yeah, definitely. Can't agree more. Uh, I think it's really important to go to the source of where all of the information is coming from and really be able to understand the nuance between everything. So as we're kind of beginning to wrap up here, we'd like to pose a question that we pose to all of our guests. And for each of you, say you're able to start a mentorship program, whether that's food-related, entrepreneurship-related, but you guys each have your own specific mentorship program, what advice would you leave mentees with? I 
would say one lesson that I've learned in this whole, whole experience is how important it is to remain open. And they, in school and in general, like when it comes to business, people talk about networking a lot, like how important it is and networking this, networking that. And it is extremely important. But I, I know one of the things that I felt like when people would mention networking to me is like that it felt very... Um, agenda specific? Yeah, exactly. It was like, I'm going to approach this person with a specific agenda and I'm because I want them to give me something. And it doesn't have to be like that. There's a way that you can form genuine relationships. And I think the way to do that is to approach people in a way where if you have something to give them, like creating that reciprocal type of relationship, but also just like there's a lot that comes with asking people genuinely sincere questions. Like there were so many questions that I had or that we had that we needed to get answered from people. Relationships were formed just because like we didn't know stuff, basically. As much as you may know about something or, you know, maybe trying to do something on your own, I guess it's extremely important to just kind of like humble yourself and realize that there's people that can help you. And um, essentially those people don't know to help you unless you talk to them. So just remain open and talk to as many people as you possibly can. And a lot of great things will come from it. I made notes because I have a lot of stuff to say. <laughs> okay. Um... My first piece of advice is learn how to learn and learn how to teach yourself anything because that will give you the freedom to do anything that you want to do in in the world. If you can teach yourself, if you have the confidence that you can teach yourself to do anything, that's that's the best thing that you will ever give yourself. It's not that hard. Uh, Teaching yourself is mostly about, like she said, asking questions, talking to people, reading books, using Google, learning how to read a research paper. Some of the most amazing things have been done and self-taught by people who literally just used whatever resources are available to them. So it's not complicated. It's just about being resourceful. My second piece of advice is going to be to give anything and everything your 100% effort. And I say this because like, if you're in a job that Say it's your first job and you may or may not like the industry, you may or may not, you know, like see yourself doing this for the rest of your life, but by putting in your 100% and learning everything that you can learn out of that job, you're going to be able to take some of that stuff and mash it together with something else completely different at a later point in your career and it's going to be so helpful to you. So even like with Reveal, even though it's a food and beverage company, I utilize so much stuff that I learned from my personal styling that it blows my mind. It's completely different. Like you'd think that there's nothing in common. And there were times that I wish I had paid more attention or I wish I had, you know, been more enthusiastic when my CEO was telling us about like marketing and like, you know, he'd asked me even once if I wanted to like, you know, become his marketing assistant. And I was like, no, no, I have too much on my plate. Like I can't handle that, which at that time, I didn't have too much on my plate and I could have totally handled it. So um, I like, those are some of the things that I regret. Um, so I would say give everything your 100%. And the next is very similar to what Zuri said um, about like networking and talking to people. One of the things that I feel like when I was younger, used to be like worried about asking people for stuff. Now, this time with this experience, what I'm realizing is that like, Everyone wants you to succeed. I've never met anybody that has come to talk to me and I've wished something bad for them. It has never happened and I don't think 
that like 99.99% of people, like you're going to talk to them and they're like, oh, well, I'm gonna hate this kid. I hope this kid, <laughs> like, you know, like nobody's like that. They actually genuinely want success for you. So I think just approaching that out of that mindset of like, okay, um, I know that you want something good for me and I want something good for you. And like, what can we do there? And my last thing is to look into everything that sparks your passion, just anything. It could be very random. And I know, I think it was Steve Jobs that said like he would go to a calligraphy class and that like helped uh, do some design elements on like how Apple came together. And I'm, I'm a big believer that like all of the things that spark your passion, when you end up in that right place at the right time for who you are in your life, I think all of these things will come together in a way that you can't even imagine. So I'm gonna say, everything that sparks your passion just like look into it like i'm not saying that you have to become great at it but it'll teach you something that that you need to know or like a lesson that has been calling for you yeah it's amazing and such powerful advices for the younger people to yourselves and to the next generations um, so on that note the recurring question that we like to ask our guest is to first of all we as the host of this platform would like to challenge you to to seek something to discover more about this week, right? It could be in your personal life, emotional life, in your subject matter, anything, because we think that having the ability to wield that innate curiosity to discover more is very important. And it's that exact curiosity has enabled you to come this far with this company. So we'd like to challenge you to just discover more something in your life this week. And with that being said, what would you two recommend our listeners to discover more about after hearing about this episode? Hmm. I'm going to say, can I do two things? Okay, perfect. I'm going to say one, discover more about yourself. Uh, Like what we were talking about earlier, I know it was like off mic or whatever, but really understand what works for you, what doesn't work for you, and try and build your life around that flow. And the other thing that I want to say, I want to discover more about for like myself is uh, what we were talking about right in the beginning about that distance between what we know is good for us and actually implementing it and like action and like wanting what that divide is and why that divide exists and to kind of narrow that as much as possible. I really want to discover more about about that piece, like how it exists, why it exists, what I can do about it um, and kind of get out of my own head and get out of my own way. Those are good things. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say that kind of in like discovering more about yourself, I would say to try and pay attention this week to um, your own food practices in your home. So, you know, whether that's, like, how often are you going grocery shopping? Like, what things are you cooking every week? And, like, how much of the those ingredients are going into the trash and why? Is it because you have... Is it leftovers in the fridge that you didn't get to for whatever reason? Is it because you bought ingredients from the grocery store and didn't get to them to them bad? I think small observations like that can it just help the amount of food that's going into the trash in, in everyone's home because that's the part of food waste that like is really hard to get to what's happening in people's own houses so yeah i think that would be a great place for people to start awesome well thank you guys i think both are very powerful pieces of advice um and both are ongoing processes the ongoing process of continuing to learn internally and as well as the ongoing process to continue learning about food educating up around it, actually implementing what you're learning about that. So I'd really like to take a minute and just like acknowledge you both for the openness that you guys have come to this conversation with and then also what you guys are building. I think it's seriously like a transformational business 
idea of bringing everyone together, kind of fixing different problems all at the root of food sustainability. So again, like we really appreciate you guys having this conversation with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, would you guys be able to provide our listeners with like how to connect with you guys, almost like what's coming next, uh, just ways people can reach out and hear about this company? Uh, so our website is uh, drinkreveal.com. It's D-R-I-N-K-R-E-V-E-A-L.com. Um, you can also find us on Instagram, same handle, Drink Reveal. Twitter, Drink Reveal. Facebook, Drink Reveal. <laughs> our personal Instagrams are both our first and last name. So mine is Zori Masood. And hers Wait, is... no. Yours is Zuri underscore Masood. Yes, that is And correct. mine is Shito underscore Bahira. What else? Oh, we are, if you're in the Philadelphia area, we're available on GoPuff. And River Words Produce. And at River, River Words Produce. And Simply Good Jars now. Also through Simply Good Jars. They have this really cool company who does salads in a jar. And they have fridges around different parts of Philly. And our drink will be located in their fridge. Um, so we are available there. We can post that information on our website and Instagram. Yeah, i like to echo what Aiden talked about. Utmost gratitude for the conversations which you guys are giving away. Because I do think that the beauty of discovering more, the ethos of that is it's an ongoing and never-ending process. Yes, it is a lot of work, but because it is a lot of work, because it is a never-ending process, there's so much beauty and it's important to seek joy in the process. Um, so as always, uh, we will include all the information they provided and everything we've talked about, including the resource in the show episode link below as always. And to all the listeners who have made it to this far, thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.